and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, uh, award-winning special effects <laughs> artist and podcaster, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm in awe of Dan Martin, who won not just one, but two Fangoria Chainsaw Awards at the weekend, which is an astonishing achievement, even if it was very deserved, uh, very well deserved, it's still astonishing. Um, Dan, you and I bonded over a love of Fangoria magazine, uh, amongst many other things, but we both had that shared love of Fangoria. And this was long before it was brought back, it was like 10 years ago. How does it feel to have won uh, a couple of Chainsaw Awards? Well, so A, I'd say it's considerably longer than 10 years ago. Because <laughs> it was, it was, I, fuck it, I think it might have been, was it, oh no, maybe, oh fuck, I don't even know. Anyway, it was ages ago, ages and ages ago, and it's astonishing. I cannot fucking believe it. Yeah, it's bonkers. I, you know, Fangoria and I were born in the same month. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the first issue of Fangoria came out the month that I was born. <laughs> That's amazing. So it and was, it had, dest- and it, it was yeah, destiny, exactly. basically. Yeah, and it had our boy Godzilla on the cover. So what I'm saying is now I need to do a Godzilla film. There you go. Wow, I can't believe that you want to get into CGI as well as uh, practical <laughs> I, effects. <laughs> I do not, sir. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, like looking at your kind of upcoming schedule, like what you're working on now and and what you've got booked in for the rest of the year, um, is there anything that you're making this year that you feel could compete at the next Fangoria Awards? I'm not asking you to to give us any titles or anything like that, but uh, is there stuff that you're as excited about um, uh, as Possessor, for example? Well, so upcoming, yes, absolutely. But I don't think it'll be in the running for next year's Fangoria Awards because right. you've got to remember we made, you know, we I was in Toronto working on uh, Possessor in 2019. So it's, you know, there's there's such a big stagger in these things. Um, I mean, there's stuff coming up that's that's got some really fun stuff in it. But, you know, I can only work within my remit. So I, I don't know if I, I don't have any like big creature stuff on the near horizon as far right. as distribution goes. So I don't I definitely don't think I've got another creature award uh, for for twenty twenty one. You know, in twenty twenty two. But you know, fuck, I don't I, I don't care. This is like <laughs> this, these are amazing. This is so good. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's um, yeah, I, I stayed up to follow it as well, and um, I oh, know. Thank you, man. I know you had um, a, a bit of a party in London, didn't you? Uh, what was the evening like? How did it kind of unfold? All that kind of thing, because people will it be was, interested in this. Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, so uh, Brandon, Kareem, Rob, and I have a like a message group. So we were messaging throughout, which is uh, great. Obviously, uh, Possessor also got the, um, the the soundtrack award as well, which is mm. awesome. And oh my, I, I, have you seen the physical release of the soundtrack? It's so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yellow and black translucent vinyl, absolutely gorgeous. Um, so yeah, we were chatting through that, and then Tracy Loder, who was my key 
on Possessor and Lee Cranston, who is my head of fabrication and one of my co-puppeteers on Color Out of Space, were, were all watching together on, on Skype at the same time. So, yeah, it was really it was a really nice evening. It was genuinely very, very exciting. And obviously, you know, I had to know a tiny bit in advance because I, I recorded my very, very short <laughs> uh, acceptance uh, videos, but I'd, I'd kept it a secret from, uh, from my, my co my my co-workers my colleagues Great. so um that was really fun yeah uh, I, I remember kareem sent a message through at the beginning being like well we've not what we've won nothing because uh all the things will have had to be pre-recorded unless dan's being sneaky <laughs> and dan was and being then, sneaky yeah you tricky tricky bastard was the the message i got <laughs> wonderful and i have to say it was a real like class act move to put your your crew's names on the whiteboard behind you um oh thank you when when did you have that idea and is this something that you're going to do kind of every time you're up for something like this well i think next time i'm just going to ignore the your response has to be 15 seconds because it appears that absolutely everybody else ignored that (laughs) (laughs) so i kind of just like leisurely read out everyone's names but yeah i mean you know I think, you know, it's it's there is absolutely no way that I could have done those films without my amazing team. It's such mm. a group effort, and I'm I'm painfully aware of the injustice of it only being my name on those cool ass uh, trophies. So that was the very least I could do. Which uh, you know, that's a nice. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a quantity I specialize in. Lovely, yeah, brilliant, and. Um, yeah, I guess uh, unless there's anything else that you'd like to uh, talk about uh, about the weekend, we can move on. Uh, any, any other thoughts? No, I mean, that was it. Like, I'm, I'm still kind of reeling from it, to be honest. I think one of the things that, like, with hindsight, it was it was bound to happen. But what I didn't foresee and has been a slightly peculiar sort of like flashback to it as, as the days have gone by is the is the obviously very like lovely twitter response that i've had from it hmm. but just that i've i think i've got up like 500 followers on twitter in about three or four days oh fantastic which is which is bonkers like you know so every now like i literally couldn't i had to silence my like thank you so much message on twitter for like 12 hours because my phone was just like running out of battery in 10 minutes because it was vibrating so much wow that's awesome excellent yeah um, it was i mean but that's that's you know what a problem to have <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. And so uh, is that going to change your approach to social media, Dan? Now you've got the pressure of this huge horde of followers. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you how much attention you've paid, but I've tried to be more like on brand over the last couple of days. So I've been posting more like effectsy bits and particularly uh, like sort of behind the scenes stuff from from those films. Um but yeah, I just try and be slightly more thoughtful of what people want from it, I guess, because ultimately it is a it is a product, isn't it? Social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, if any of those uh, new followers are, I'm still are listening gonna be... today, go on, Dan. You're still going to do what? <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still going to be very opinionated about political things. Yes. I was I was tweeting something earlier today, and I thought Sam would ask me if i wanted to tweet this <laughs> if it was if it was something i was saying on the podcast <laughs> i love it right. say, is, this, I, is this wise you've got all these lovely new followers you need to think <laughs> about these things 
I love it. Right, I'm going to have a look at that after we've finished recording this. But um, <laughs> and yeah, I'll, I'll text you. But um, yeah, well, this is the hundredth episode uh, of the podcast, yeah. so a very special event. And yeah, we kind of we've we've both come quite a long way actually over the past kind of hundred episodes or so. Um, yeah, I also had an event at the weekend now. As this is the 100th episode, the precious arrowheads will be used to our dynamic by now. I bring up Dan's <laughs> achievements and compliment him. And then I have to bring up my own achievements because he never mentions them. Like a mad egotistical maniac. And then he, he makes fun of me when I do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, Sam, let yes. me just say, uh, let me let me double down on what I said before we started recording, which is that uh, while I wasn't able to see it at the weekend, I'm very much looking forward to seeing your latest directorial uh, film, the film that you have directed. Uh, and I'm looking forward to watching A Little More Flesh too which played at the weekend at the Soho Film Festival, is that right? Yeah, it's it, Soho Horror Fest. And yeah, it, it premiered and it, I've got some of the best reviews of my career, some amazing tweets. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read two of them out, Dan, because I know you hate it when I do self-praise. Do so um, this isn't self-praise. This is someone else saying this. It's not even me saying it. <laughs> right, so a little more flesh too. Uh, the Devil Times 5 podcast tweeted... A Little More Flesh 2 was bloody good. In fact, it's the best new release I've seen so far this year. Disturbing and unique, I'd go as far as to say that Sam Ashurst has invented a completely new form of horror. I think that was Cliff that said that from The Devil Times 5, so thank you so much, Cliff. That is truly incredible. Uh, And then one more, uh, Will Chich, who is a podcast listener, I believe, um, he said, Sam Ashurst has out-vontreered early von trier deeply unsettling fiercely original provocative and full of knowing wit sequences put me in mind of chris morris's blue jam and inland empire what i'm saying is it's fucking great but not for everyone like all the best things so that might actually be the best response to anything i've ever done so uh thank you very much will now yeah i'm I'm kind of that the dig it down is a joke obviously we are like brothers in a sense that one of us is supportive and one of us isn't. Again, another joke. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm fine. It's fine. Honestly, I'm fine. Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we should dwell on this for another. <laughs> no, we're all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about our film. Yes, this our film. The film. We are doing uh, Brain Damage. Now, uh, Brain Damage is kind of a special selection. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell the precious Arrowheads why we've chosen this one of all the Arrow releases for our 100th episode? Well, in the dark and distant past, when this uh, podcast was just a glint in producer Mike's eye... Sam and I had the exciting task of choosing the film that we would use to demonstrate to Arrow our podcast chops. And after a bit of conversation between the two of us, uh, and we still lived together at the time, mm. we decided that this film was the was the obvious choice. We we both loved it. We were both it was easy to enthuse about, mm. um, and it it was both uh, like maybe not the most seen film in the Arrow catalogue, but also relatively approachable. Yeah, exactly, and it kind of played to our strengths to a certain extent, um, like. 
I'd done a low-budget short film at, at this point, and obviously Dan was already a special effects master. Like, yeah, when I kind of very first met Dan, uh, it was quite early on in your career in a weird kind of way. Like, you you trained and stuff, but you'd only just started getting into, like, big movies, right? You'd done short films and all that kind of thing. I remember seeing an image from Johannes Roberts' F, uh, yeah, which is the first on... feature I designed. There you go, exactly. And I remember putting onto Facebook, um, Rob Bottin, eat your heart out, um, at a particular shot of a jaw um, that had had uh, uh, horrible things done to it. Really, really incredible. So I just, I, I think we both felt like brain damage was something that we could both kind of um, put experience and kind of perspective into as well as celebrating it. Because I think one of the things that people kind of like about this podcast is that we do have that kind of perspective of people who are involved in the industry to varying degrees. So, yeah, I guess one of the first things to talk about is the incredible special effect at the heart of this film, Elmer. I love him so much. (laughs) I love everything about him. I love his, his voice. I love the way he looks. I love the way he's lit. Um, how do you feel about uh, the little blue guy? He's amazing. Yeah, like he's he's not the most perfect effect, but he is absolutely perfect for this film. Yes, he is arrestingly out of place vocally, but in a way that is really like involving and exciting. Like he's. He's very he's very other at every single moment. And then the slightly rudimentary sort of cable control puppeteering means that he has this herky jerky motion that that cuts really beautifully in with some very, very adept stop motion animation. Hmm. And and then like, you know, there are little things that may not be of concern to your average viewer but like the 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 wiggly tentacle forehead version of him where he's half burrowed into someone's head Mm. that's essentially the same rig as the pineal gland from from beyond and yet it's so much better Mm. like the the design in from beyond is great i love i love from beyond and i love the effects but there's so much there's so much bulk in the rigs that cable operate those heads and Elmer's like really deftly put together. Gabe Botalos, who did the effects for this, um, was still very, very green, very young when he did it. And I think the uh, he had a, a co-effects uh, guy whose name escapes me. But he, um, yeah, they 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 put together a really sleek understructure for the control of those systems. And then Gabe did some lovely sculpture work to hide them in a little bit of like head embiggening. Yeah, it's lovely. It's yeah. great fun. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. real animal parts aside, which I always disapprove of, um, it's it's pretty pretty impressive stuff from beginning to end. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, it's kind of, it's basically like a mirror universe version of Sesame Street with Elmer trying to kind of do my hero as opposed to Elmo trying to save some kids or whatever. Um, it kind of feels <laughs> like a, a just say no to alien drug parasites public service film, um, which is quite unusual but like it should it you know it it could have and should have been unwatchable in a way it's quite an ambitious project for the budget that they had 
you know, centering a film like this, like a really dark, twisted film about addiction, whether that's kind of drug addiction or, or sex addiction, like you could argue it's, it's kind of both. And obviously, Henning Lotter covered that more directly in a later movie. But yeah, doing a film on these subjects with a puppet at the heart of it, it just could have been an absolute disaster, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, again, you know, given that we the last time we did this, we covered this film on the podcast, not that anyone's heard it, was episode zero. Yeah, and I have um, literally no memory of it as well. No, I haven't. I, I, I tried to find a, a recording of it, and I, I struggled. I, I, I failed. But yeah, like, it, but I, actually, I haven't seen it since we did that, so it was really nice to go back and re-watch it. Mm. But one of the things that really struck me was that, as you said, I was kind of at the beginning of my, my the proper bit of my career when we did the the first version of this. Mm. And everything's got so much bigger since. And I, I think that I was much more impressed this time by what they achieved on such a patently tiny budget. Because I, I like a lot of times, I felt like I'd be like the party pooper on this. They, like Henelotter, Frank Henelotter talks uh, about... Uh, how they the effects guy they were going to use was like oh really <laughs> about a lot of the effects when they first talked about it and Bartalos was this guy's assistant and was behind him in the room and Henelotta could see him like his eyes widening and him getting excited and laughing at all this stuff hmm. uh, and while I don't think I would have been that down on it I think I you know I might have been like okay guys we might need to tighten some of this up a bit like I like financially this seems a little bit much but, you know, Gabe was still at that bit of his career, like I was back on, you know, F and such, where he was willing to just, like, fuck off his own health and stay up forever and, you know, work until all hours of the night for very little money uh, to to get these things made. And it really shows, like, it's very much a labour of love. We talk about bad films a lot on the podcast, normally during my recommendations. <laughs> but I, but you know, we talk about the enjoyment that can be taken from an imperfect product. And while I think that this is better than a lot of those pictures i think that that earnestness and that intent and that love kind of really shines through as well so you've not only have you got a legitimately quite fun and actually pretty well structured film but you've also got this real like yeah labor of love yeah uh yeah completely agree and i had exactly the same experience actually yeah the because really you know the chunk of time between our our pilot episode our zero episode and this hundredth episode we've both been on a bit of a journey i think you have just astonished me um you know in in how you've kind of progressed over the past kind of four years and i i I mean i've always been impressed by you dan you know that like since 2011 when you did f and you know human centipede 2 and all of the stuff that you've done over the past kind of decade that i've known you um, but you've really kind of escalated over the past four years. And in my own way, you know, I've made three features since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. And that kind of experience of doing kind of super low budget stuff, that's kind of why I say how amazing it is that this film exists and has this puppet at the centre of it. And actually is as good as it is because, like, it, it feels like a proper film. Um, there's some lovely camera work especially kind of involving the couple who who lose Elmer at the start and some really cool push-ins and there's God's eye shots and you know Henning Lotter is influenced by drive-in movies but it's a better made film 
than than you know anything on he came from the swamp for example it, on which Henenlotter pops up as a contributor yes. to uh, yeah, commentaries yeah, yeah. you know he absolutely loves those movies but this feels like just kind of a better version of, of that kind of thing on, on lots of different levels yeah i mean he's a he's an english academic isn't he he's an english literature academic so mm-hmm. he yeah. his starting point as a writer is is comparatively worthy <laughs> rather than you know i think a lot of the a lot of the sort of american trash exploitation guys started out in like advertising or guns for hire and and those things gave them access to the facilities but not necessarily the 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 same sort of artistic drive that frank has and while it's undeniable that what frank produces is trash cinema it, it does seem to have this edge to it that a lot of that stuff doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's just, he's just a really interesting guy, Henenlotter. Like he wrote, what was it that he wrote? Was it this or Basket Case that he wrote on napkins at uh, like a diner? Uh, I, I think it might have been Basket Case, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's kind of that mixture of the, the literature influences because often this kind of feels like magic realism like you wouldn't see for example the sequence where um brian is kind of enveloped by the blue liquid um, oh my goodness which is like that a, a beautiful surreal image isn't it God, what were you gonna it's, say it, it's it's both a beautiful image and i'm super super glad it's in the film but it's also like literally the first thing that any producer would cut to get the budget down exactly it yeah it like there's a cheaper way of forwarding of like revealing that information it doesn't overtly forward the story and they had to build a version of the set that they would flood like it's yeah. a, a whole separate set build yeah and and the eye like loads of vfx stuff that was weeks of work for al magliacetti who was the like the visual effects supervisor did all the animation all the stop motion mm. all the paint overs all that beautiful multi-pass solarized stuff and and it's i think what's really fun about it is that it's it does actually feel like like it feels quite psychedelic in mm. a way that i think i didn't expect from the film when i first watched it yeah exactly and um you know i don't want to project too much onto the movie but there is a way of interpreting it as a metaphor for henenlotter's ability to make beauty out of trash like if you look at a junkyard through the right eyes in the right psychedelic light there is real art there i love that sequence as well like the first kind of the impact of the uh the injection so to speak it's just such a, a beautiful cool sequence it's gorgeous and there's so much ingenuity going on into the actual filmmaking as well yeah like when they talk about like having to get pickups of of background shots in the junkyard but not being able to get back there so they've just got like tinfoil on a wall <laughs> behind the guy Brilliant. Uh, and it's just out of focus because they just needed like shiny metal behind the person for those quick shots and they just you know he knew that that would work and it really did like there are still miniature shots in this so the first time we did the the record like the 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 first version of this podcast Mm. um i I didn't listen to the audio commentary and it's because for one reason or another like normally on the arrow discs the audio commentary is the first extra it offers you Mm. but for some reason the arrow is like the the audio commentary on this is the second to last Mm. extra like it's on like the second or third page of extras 
I, I, I didn't even know it was on the disc until this watch round. It's a great audio commentary. It's fantastic. Um, like, it, it's yeah. actually one of my all-time favourite audio commentaries. Like, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, you need to listen to this. It's very honest, funny, packed full of facts. It's a real joy to listen to. And, yeah, like, I love kind of the balance between... Like, he just really gets straight into it, doesn't he? And, and, and answers the questions fans want answered, as well yeah. as giving, uh, you know, insight and advice to DIY filmmakers, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, things aren't quite the same now as they were no. then. So some of it is more of sort of historical academic interest than maybe practical use. But at the same time, he really, he leaves very little un, like undiscussed. I, I don't remember who it was who's in the commentary with him, but they sort of keep him on track really well yeah. as well. Like he he's he's resistant enough that you don't ever feel like great anecdotes are left untold. Mm. But at the same time, he's not allowed to sort of meander and and reminisce too much. Yeah, no, it, it's really fantastic. And yeah, I guess kind of when I say advice. I guess it's kind of aspirational rather than like, here's how you do this and here's how you do that. Like inspirational, I guess, because it's the kind of commentary that kind of, it breaks things down and makes things feel possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, What other extras did you like? Well, I realise we've not really talked about the story. Oh, (laughs) you haven't done your normal, you know, we've gotten to 100 episodes and forgotten one of the main bits of structure that we do have. (laughs) One of the few bits of structure. Yeah. Um, Right, Dan, why don't you tell the precious arrowheads who have been waiting for this moment uh, for about 20 minutes, why don't you tell them the plot of Brain Damage? Brain Damage is about a straight-cut, lovely young man who isn't as straight-cut or as lovely as you might think because he's got a small cut on his lip, uh, who accidentally (laughs) falls into the ownership of a legendary psychedelic spewing beast who offers him a Faustian pact. Yeah, and they go on a psychedelic murder rampage together. And it's awesome. And it's got one of the best effects set pieces in cinema history. Um, oh, which one? Are you, which one do you mean? No spoilers. Uh, I mean the ear. No spoilers. Oh yeah, I mean that's obviously that's great. You know what? Again, like I, I genuinely think that stands up so well. It does. It's a beautiful combination of optical and practical work. Yeah. Both uh, Almag and uh, and Batalos have just excelled themselves on that. Uh, and like, there's a if you watch it, so what I would say is there's a there's a couple of really great making ofs on the disc. Uh, Batalos does one, Magliacetti does one, uh, talking about both the practical makeup effects and the sort of visual work. Although they sort of cross over a little bit, and I think Magliacetti did some set design stuff as well for the rigs, like the you know the flooding set and that kind of stuff. But before you watch those rewatch any key effect scenes and just sort of pick them apart see if you can work out how you could how you, how they did them and while you might be able to see some gaps and especially with some of the puppeteering there's you know there might be some some ropey bits but what i will say is that when you finally have them explained to you on those extras there will be details in there that you did not predict and when you when you read when you hear them you'll be like oh fuck me yeah that's really clever mm. and that's really very smart stuff um, particularly for, for Batalos, I'm talking about the very, very end of the film, which I'll be super oblique about. 
there's an there's a structural detail to what he built for that that's very very smart uh that i really like um and then for al's stuff uh yeah talking about the the ear gag there's some there's some set and camera placement work that's so smart that just Mm. really like takes it to the next level absolutely yeah incredible incredible sequence and yeah another one that i really love which is you know maybe slightly weird but (laughs) the bathtub scene (laughs) no spoilers bathtub's great but um yeah the 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 bit where um brian's in the bath basically and and someone comes knocking for him uh again that's one of my favorite scenes in cinema whenever i watch that bit it just makes me really happy is it is it because of the excuse that he gives his flatmate through the door (laughs) It's, it's it's just it's that shift from when it's normal to when another character appears in the room um and his reaction to that character that's that's what i'm gonna say um because i don't want to spoil one of the most significant moments in cinema history uh, but yeah i just really this film just makes me happy man i think that's that's one of the reasons i really wanted to do it um for the pilot uh those years ago and um it's why i'm really glad that we're we're doing it now uh do you have any more to say about brain damage or any of the extras because there's quite a lot of good extras on this disc yeah there's really nice stuff there's there's sort of new new interviews and there's uh and there's some archival stuff like trailers and and that yeah it's just a it's just a really solid disc and actually there's there's more that i realized when i you know when you look at the list uh when you look at the menu you don't see an audio commentary there and you're like okay it's one of the lighter ones that's fine but actually there's several screens and it's yeah it's really packed it's it's great yeah really really good um shall we move on to recommendations or do we have more to say about brain damage i don't really want to get too much into like the third act and all that stuff because we don't want to spoil no, this no, one no no let's, let's let's move on let's do our recommendations right do you want to go first yeah, I'll go first. Unlike last time, it's because uh, I think we might have some double ups, but I haven't got a backup. So now, my... no, right? Let, let's just make something clear for the precious airheads out there. Right? We are recording this not too uh, long after Dan won two Chainsaw Awards, and I uh, had my premiere and live Q and A's and all that kind of stuff. So we're both pretty shattered as we go into this 100th episode. <laughs> so you know if what's... there are any new listeners, don't judge us too harshly on this one. Um, you know, we, we've got busy lives, Dan. Uh... Sam, I, <laughs> yes. I owe you an apology because when you started that, I yeah. thought you were going to say, we're recording this several days late because Dan decided to get drunk <laughs> and watch an awards ceremony and he's had plenty of time to check out extra things and put together some spare spare options on his recommendation list. So thank no, you, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, w- I wouldn't do that to you. Um, I-, I love you, Dan. Uh, I can say that now on the 100th episode of this of this podcast. I love you. Right, you now give us your... your effing- Sam and I are deeply in love. <laughs> right first recommendation from dan I don't know where is else. i say you heard it here first i don't know who the fuck else would report on that ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, right so uh, my first recommendation is from 1987 which counts as the year before uh brain damage but i think actually brain damage was in post-production for long enough that this was made it was f- filmed after brain damage 
and it's Street Trash. Yes, uh, great one. Directed by Jay Mitchell Monroe. One of the reasons that Brain Damage looks so fucking gorgeous is that Jay Mitchell Monroe was their Steadicam operator. And actually, there's some lovely uh, anecdotes from, from Hen and Lotter about uh, Monroe talking to him about deciding to become a Steadicam operator. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, Monroe ended up being one of the main Steadicam operators in Hollywood. He was uh, James Cameron's Steadicam operator on The Abyss, among many, many other things. He's an incredibly talented camera operator. He also directed a spiritual cousin to brain damage uh, in that it takes entirely, it takes place in a junkyard, mm. uh, but now in bright daylight. It's a, uh, a very slimy, grimy, practical effects filled uh, horror film about a bootleg booze that uh, melts people when they drink it getting into the homeless population and it's grimy and it's grim and it's slimy and it's great <laughs> like street trash i i may even have recommended street trash on the pilot episode like this is kind of ringing some bells because um street trash is a film that i saw way too young and became weirdly like i think i repressed it and then became obsessed by it and asked people there, there's a film where people drink a drink and they melt in the toilet you must have seen it and because this was pre-internet days um no one knew what the fuck i was talking about and i thought i might have yeah, drank yeah, yeah. it um but then yeah it was very gratifying to uh, rediscover it when um when when the internet became a thing it's an amazing film street trash yeah yeah, yeah. so nasty so, that you you might well repress it but um kick, but loads kick of fun. back uh put your feet up grab a nice tall glass of cold tenafly viper yeah and watch yourself some street trash um special effects done by the brilliantly titled ken brilliant <laughs> <laughs> uh who was uh, an alum of but with Bartalos of spookies where they worked together and it was the guy who did Spookies who didn't get the job on uh, Brain Damage. So they, they'd they worked together. So there's another sort of tenuous connection between the two films. And of course, Graham Humphreys did uh, the cover art to the Spookies VHS and he also did the poster for Frankenstein's Creature, my debut film, uh, just to bring it back to me because we haven't <laughs> talked about me enough. Uh, again, I'm joking. New listeners, please, please subscribe. Please give us five stars um, because I'm about <laughs> to recommend you Reanimator. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, the The opening credits and kind of synth orchestral score uh remind me of um brain damage and yeah both both movies have kind of great special effects and kind of a grotesque surrealism and a really kind of specific sense of humor i kind of see the same humor in a brain-eating puppet and a perverted severed head for some reason they're they're kind of they've got different tones different vibes but I can kind of see them both coming from the same kind of drive-in shock spirit as each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I just... It, it's kind of a, a relatively underseen movie. It does have a cult following, but it doesn't have quite the same reputation as something like Evil Dead 2, um, for example. But yeah, Reanimator, I absolutely love it. 
it's great fun. Oh, Reanimator's a treat. So I good. recommend it. Yeah, and I think there's an Arrow disc in the States. There's not one in the UK, but I think there's one in the States. So um, Yeah, Reanimator, Reanimator 2 and 3 are both America and UK, but number one, the OG, mm. uh, is American only for... for and it's, I'm afraid it's region locked. But if you've got a multi-region player for those sweet, sweet Criterion discs, you can import the uh, <laughs> you can import the Arrow disc, and it's great. Go. It's a very, yeah. very good set pack set. Oh, you've gone quiet. Hello. No, oh, I just finished speaking. <laughs> uh, God, hundredth episode, eh? Uh, Dad, <laughs> <laughs> what's your um, what's your next recommendation? Do you like weird gross-out special effects and puppets, Sam? I love them. You should watch Meet the Feebles. Yeah! Oh, what a recommendation this is. Yes. Uh, Meet the Feebles, uh, Peter Jackson, an early Peter Jackson picture, a sort of take on the Muppets if they were fucking and shitting endlessly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what can I say? I, I I think I probably saw Meet the Feebles around about the same time that I saw Brain Damage for the first time. It was one of those ones that uh, if you wanted to watch Uncut in England, you were probably going to end up watching the Red Edition from Holland. It's fucking insane. It's all puppets. There's no people in it. It's live action. It's not animated, but it's it's all puppets. Like like the Muppets. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, there's singing, there's dancing, and as I said, there's constant shitting and fucking. I don't know what else to tell you. It's got uh, it's got some proper sort of uh, brain dead, bad taste humor in it. If you uh, if you've if you've not seen Peter Jackson's early films, just watch all of them. You'll know what I mean by New Zealand uh, humor from things like What We Do in the Shadows. It's that, but more extreme, more violent, more scatological, uh, and a lot a lot weirder. I don't know what else to say. How, yeah. how else would you recommend Meet the People to someone so they didn't hate you after they watched it? Uh, I'm not sure if that's possible to a certain extent. Like, all, all I'd say is, you know, prepare yourself to be offended. There is something to offend pretty much everyone in that movie, I'd say. Oh, um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's an amazing experience. And please, for the love of God, Arrow... Arrow, I know you don't listen to this podcast, but can you please release Meet the Feebles? Can you please release Bad Taste? Um, you know, well, Brain Dead is probably the... more complicated, but go on, Dan, what were you going to say? Well, but there's a rumour of them all being 4K'd by Jackson, but he needs to sort of take time off to oversee it. That's oh, the whole thing, isn't it? God, I just, I, I need those discs in my life so badly. Fantastic like, recommendation. Um, imagine imagine an Arrow box set that contained... Yes. Bad taste. Yeah. Meet the Feebles. Mm. Brain dead. Yeah. The Frighteners. Oh. Forgotten silver. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, dirty creature and heavenly creatures. I just all in four K. <laughs> I mean, I I I'd retire on that. Um, Peter Jackson, man, what a fucking legend! Please go back to making crazy horror films, Peter. Uh, you are a genius at it, right? Oh, um, so good. My next recommendation also requires a kind of warning. This film will not be for everyone. Uh, In fact, I'm not sure if it's entirely for me. I've only seen it once, and that was around the time it came out uh, in the mid-2000s. But Bad Biology has stuck with me, and it just makes sense to pair it with this film. It's kind of dealing with similar themes of frustration and addiction, and it's basically about two people who are sexually unfulfilled because of their 
mutant genitalia, uh, that is, until they meet each other. Bad Biology features a drug-addicted sentient penis, which feels like Henenlotter just kind of rearranged Alma's descriptors and put him into a new movie, but, um, <laughs> you know, not quite to that extent. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd obviously kind of put basket case ahead of this in your watch list if you're new to hen and Lotter and and franklin hooker obviously has a great arrow disc but yeah bad biology is kind of the closest to brain damage i'd say and you could have a pretty brilliant triple bill if you started with brain damage then went into street trash which also has a a, a significant penis sequence um, and then ended on oh, yeah. bad biology. Uh, you will probably be insane by the end of it, but it will be worth, you know, the medical expenses, um, wouldn't you say, Dan? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, that. That sounds like a a brain melting experience, but yes. a worthwhile one. Absolutely. And normally on this podcast stuff, we do our, our recommendations based on the film. We do our recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching this fortnight? Uh, I was having a chat with my lovely uh, wife, uh, another horror enthusiast and very knowledgeable individual. And you know what it's like when you're talking to someone who knows their onions uh, in film and you discover something you love that they've never seen. So a couple of nights ago, I rewatched Dr. Phoebe's. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. What a treat. I hadn't seen it for years, but I think like anyone who's seen it, it, it was uh, it was very, very, like, dear to me. Um, and I almost I almost didn't bother recommending it just because and, you know, you'll you'll think this is silly because, well, you'll think this is silly <laughs> uh, because I felt like it was a bit obvious <laughs> because. A, it's you know it's an Arrow title, and a lot of our listeners are are Arrow customers, and they know what Arrow have. But but actually, a because it's super fucking out of print, mm. <laughs> so it's very hard to get hold of. Well, it's hard to get hold of the the double bill. I think you might still be able to get the uh, the singles, but also actually, I think it might not be as well known, especially outside of England, mm. as as I had previously thought. It's an absolute treat. Like, you know, it's a revenge plot. It's very much Saw before Saw. Like, mm-hmm. it's just the it's the inspiration for Saw. That's unofficial, but definitely true. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got some... I wouldn't say it was problematic, but definitely some weird uh, religious undertones in there. Uh, and it's got some great, slightly campy special effects. And yeah. the best band you'll ever see. Yeah, really, really fun film. I believe you've got that on your list of titles you want us to cover this year, Dan. So you've got. I'd, quite I'd early love on to cover Doctor Phoebe's. Yeah, yeah. Like to go deep, deep onto that. Yeah. So um, the, the the full title is the Abominable Doctor Phoebe's, by the way. So it's under A in the collection. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I've only ever seen the first one. Actually, I haven't seen the follow up. So um, that'll be Doctor Phoebe's rises again. Yeah, we'll yeah. do. We'll do. We'll do the pair. Well, like you know, who knows? Maybe we. Maybe it's off the off the list because it's not actually an arrow title anymore. Ah, all right. Well, um, uh, we'll do. We'll do admin another time. I'm going to move on to my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks the darjeeling limited which is released uh today if you're listening to this episode as it goes up on blu-ray from criterion in the uk now i know this is a divisive one 
but I do absolutely love this film. Uh, Dan, how do you feel about the Darjeeling Limited? I really like it. Like how do I, you? I think, yeah, yeah, I really do. It's one of the. It's while it's not my favorite Anderson, it's it's up there. It's in the top half. Yeah, for me. Yeah, I really like it. I really, really like it. I, I, I do seem to remember hearing some slightly like problematic stuff about its production. And obviously there's some general sort of like colonialist gaze going on. But as a piece of technical filmmaking, it's absolutely fucking gorgeous. And I don't think it's it's so it's not as masturbatory as, as some of his later stuff. And it benefits from that, I think. Now the weird thing here is, right, let's we're not gonna get into this too much, obviously, because um you know, this the, our podcast is not really about this kind of thing. But, yeah, like, this is a film that means quite a lot to me. Like, the brothers kind of remind me of kind of me, my brother and my sister. Their kind of personalities and their kind of dynamic is really close to the relationship I have with, with those two people. Um, and my stepfather, uh, Coos, was from Mauritius. And so... Yeah, watching it kind of feels weirdly homely for me. Um, and I know that's not going to apply to literally anyone else listening to this podcast um, <laughs> as a recommendation engine, um, which is why I don't want to go into it too much. But my stepdad was quite a, a renowned professor of cultural theory and he kind of specialised in post-colonialism. And I should hate this film for that problematic element of it but i just don't like i don't know what it is but it there's there's something that feels like i say homely it reminds me of 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 lots of things and i think that the kind of sequence in the middle no spoilers but where the the brothers encounter other brothers let's put it that way i think that's one of the most powerful sequences it might be the most powerful sequence in anderson's canon I think it's just amazing, amazing. Um, and yeah, you know, he was influenced by Sajit Ray and kind of some Merchant and Ivory stuff as well. And those are pretty decent influences to have when you're making this kind yeah. of film. And there's actually, there's a wonderful interview on the disc uh, between Anderson and James Ivory. And it, it's kind of discussing the influences that Anderson took from uh, their films and kind of soundtrack choices and all that kind of stuff and you get clips from the movies as well yeah it's a really good disc there's there's a great documentary as well and uh, a new audio commentary which unfortunately is kind of recorded over skype it's wes anson jason schwartzman and roman coppola but they're all kind of keyed in through through skype and so it's not kind of the most flowing kind of charismatic commentary you've ever heard but it's still very interesting but yeah even if you don't have the slightly unique family setup that I <laughs> have had throughout my life, uh, I still think that uh, Darjeeling Limited is up there with Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, and Grand Budapest Hotel for me. It's in it's in my kind of top five Ansons, and probably quite close to the top. Um, so yeah, out on Criterion today, I recommend it. Dan, what is next from you? Uh, I'd just like to say that while I know that uh, Ismail Merchant has obviously cultural chops and therefore is somewhat above these uh, comparisons, I hadn't realised until you said it just now how colonialist 
merchant ivory sounds. <laughs> yes, I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed that out about merchant. But yeah, it does. It does sound like a. I don't know. Like it should. Be like if it wasn't their on names. the side of a ship. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. I'm gonna go back into my old stable of recommending people things they fucking can't get hold of. Hey. Um, there. There are old. Uh, there's an American DVD, but it's a it's a cut version. Um. There are fan edits floating around online. It's a really, really beautiful film. We, uh, Jen and I watched it uh, because I, I wanted to, to, to recommend something along the lines of Dr. Phoebes. So it makes a great double bill with Dr. Phoebes. Uh, it's The Horrible Secret of Dr. Hitchcock, a.k.a. The oh, Horrible Dr. Nice Hitchcock, one. from 1962. Yeah, yeah. yeah, directed by Ricardo Freda, who did little else of note, uh, although he did do uh, a bunch of... Uh, I think he did some Avengers episodes... Uh, and I think he did a Snoopy movie. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's set in London. It's set in one of those classic Italian castles that you see all over London. <laughs> um, and it's sort of a... Cro- it's a sort of... It's a more tasteful than you would expect, considering it's largely about necrophilia. And it is uh, a sort of a cross between Hitchcock's Rebecca and uh, Booyah Omega. <laughs> so if you can make those two things fit together in your head and set it in an Italian castle set in London, uh, then you can kind of imagine Dr. Hitchcock. It's probably only like a sort of a PG, a 15, based on content, although, again, there's some slightly peculiar sex stuff going on. Nothing explicit. Um, But if you like, like, sort of velvet drapery, huge portraits, and diaphanous robes, then, uh, then it's definitely a film for you. It's a delight. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got weird associations with that film because... It, it, I had it on VHS, but the VHS, whenever I put it into the player, it's happened twice. So that when I say whenever, I that does sound like it happened 50 times, but no, it happened twice. It broke the player. It broke two players, this tape. Wow. Um, so in my mind, it's kind of like a cursed tape, but, uh, but a good film. Probably probably all that experimental anaesthetic that the tape was dripping in. Yeah brilliant love it right uh next from me now uh over the past hundred episodes dan and i have developed a dynamic where he recommends things that uh you can't buy and i recommend things that you can buy um we used to both recommend things that you can't buy but then uh kind of realized that that might get frustrating for people in the end so i am going to recommend you another disc that you can buy today uh, that I was very lucky to get an advanced uh, a screener disc of. It's Mike Lee's masterpiece, Secrets and Lies, which is also out today on Criterion. Now, I've always loved this film, uh, but it gets better and better every time I watch it. I cannot believe that something like this was completely improvised. It is incredible. It's uh, emotionally complex. It's profoundly moving uh, and just very, very clever. It, it's Kind of like a less cynical Fassbinder movie in a way. Astonishing cast, both in terms of the main actors and the kind of uh, character actors that Lee's found for the supporting players. The beautiful music that really adds depth to the raw reality of the movie. And yeah, I'm not going to talk about the plot because there's no need. The actors didn't know what the film was about before they made it. So 
Um, why should you before you watch it? But yeah, if you love British cinema, if you love powerful drama, you've probably already seen Secrets and Lies. But if you haven't, it is an absolute blind buy, especially as the disc is great too. Um, there's a, a brilliant remote interview of Marianne Jean-Baptiste conducted by the magnificent Karina Antrobus, who uh, co-runs the, the Bechdel Fest. And yeah, there's wonderful Mike Lee material on there as well, including uh, a 90-minute audio interview. Um, yeah, love this film, love this disc. Massive recommendation, Secrets and Lies. Dan, how do you feel about Secrets and Lies? I've not seen it for a very, very long time, but it's obviously fantastic. Yeah. I don't know how well uh, it pairs with brain damage. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it's, but obviously it's, that's not what we're doing. It's <laughs> a good job. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, my first recommendation based on brain damage. Have you forgotten the structure of this podcast? 100 episodes in. Unbelievable. Right, extra features. <laughs> Extra features. Extra features, extra features. Extra features. Um, we don't have any extra features, but shall we have a quick reminisce, um, Dan? Or or should we just move on? I don't know. Yeah, have, a, have, a, have a nice gentle reminisce. It's been, fuck me, it's been 100 episodes. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I do think that's something to celebrate, um, especially like with our kind of slightly mad schedules. Like we will always make time for this podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, because uh, not only do we care about these films that we're trying to recommend to you guys, uh, we also very much care about the audience and uh, who listen to this. And just, I, I feel like I've made friends from this podcast, Dan. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. It's really nice. Like, yeah. And um, just to go way, way back the podcast kind of originally started people might be interested in this um and this is kind of like an extra feature like i'm making of we kind of uh, originally started talking about it in 2016 uh mike and i originally kind of the plan was to do like a, a youtube series um because i'd been doing kind of youtube stuff for um the magazine that i was working for at the time and there was kind of it was mooted that i do some youtube stuff for arrow um but then we were in Cannes and we were outside le petit majestique and i just said i was really into podcasts at that time like stuff like my brother my brother and me and like the flop house like stuff like that um i was obsessively listening to podcasts at that time and so i just said to mike fuck youtube why don't we do a, a podcast and mike's like yeah we're, we're gonna do a podcast and um we both kind of landed on the idea that dan would make the greatest podcast co-host of all time and i think that has been uh, proven to be correct and then um yeah brought dan into the fold um dan had his own ideas and we started kind of discussing how we do it and it took you a long time to yeah. get that tiger i demanded <laughs> well you know dad did have some pretty like he had some pretty bold ideas like you wanted to license some shallow music for our opening theme do you remember i still want to do that <laughs> <laughs> it's only been four years but yeah um like you know what like in, in hindsight it was very very smart to use the Arrow logo music at the beginning of the podcast because the number of people I've had say, 
that now when they put on a copy of uh, like any Arrow film and they hear that music, the, the their brain just fills in. You know, like when you stare at like uh, a negative image for a while and then you look at a white <laughs> wall and you see the positive version of that image. The silence after that logo noise on the Blu-ray or on the yeah. disc is filled with our voices. <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, I mean, it's the same for me. I, I do it too. And who, who was it? Who was it that made that suggestion, Dan? Do you remember? Who was it? Uh, I think it was just a, like a drunk tramp. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was me. <laughs> it was you, wasn't it, it was me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really, really fucking care about this podcast. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, all I've done really uh, over the, the lifespan of this podcast is make like three DIY features, like micro budget features um, in the grand scheme of things. Not very many people have heard of them. Uh, certainly not as many people who have heard of movies like Possessor and The Colour Out of Space, movies that, that Dan works on. Um, but I am an ambitious fellow, uh, just as Dan is an ambitious fellow. And even if our careers take us to kind of even crazier places, you will hear about it on this podcast because I'm determined to keep doing this no matter what fucking happens. So let's hope that you'll all be with us for the thousandth episode. But if you have supported us uh, over the course of of these uh, 100 episodes, I just want to say a direct thank you and we will always be here for you. Dan, do you have any words to say um, in what has turned into an Oscar acceptance speech, I think? I don't (laughs) work out the tone of what I'm saying, but um, Dan, do you have any words for the audience? Yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this this wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the people that listen. Yeah. And, you know, Sam and I are both really excited to be here to talk at you in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, just off the back of that um, and, you know, the kind of nostalgic reminiscence, uh, I, I would also like to mention the fact that our beloved producer, Mike Hewitt, who has been with us since episode one, um, he is moving on to Pastures New. So uh, if the quality of the podcast really dramatically dips over the next uh, couple of months, then it is Mike's fault. That is a joke, Mike. <laughs> I also love you. And um, no, we're, we are going to deeply, deeply miss you. Uh, this podcast wouldn't exist without you. Like yeah, I say. Yeah, absolutely. If, I if, mean, this, if, yeah, in many ways, this is Mike's child. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways it is, but also in many we ways. Are, we are the parasites of the teat. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, Mike, uh, thank you so much for everything. Yeah, um, thank you, Mum. And uh, yeah, I'm going to stop talking now because this is this has gone quite self-indulgent on my part. I'll tell you, so. I'll, I'll tell you what's happened, Sam. This is this has turned from a podcast into a phone conversation. It has, <laughs> and that's with why, someone who isn't here yet. That's why we need to wrap up, right, uh, Dan? Social media at Thirteen Finger FX uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. And as I intimated earlier, I am trying to be more professional there as well and share more effectsy things and less random opinions. And I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. 
I'm at samashes23 on Instagram. And I've recently learned how to do Instagram stories. I'm officially the last person to learn how to do that. So uh, last but one. There you go. Um, have you not done, you've done Instagram stories, haven't you? No, I share stuff to store it. Like, you know, uh, every now and then it's like, oh, what do you want to do with this? And I'm like, eh. <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, share to Instagram stories is the digital equivalent of kicking something under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not creating any unique content for the stories. It is quite fun. It's quite addictive. Um, but anyway, that is it now. If What's you've your made... TikTok account? Well, that that's that's next. That's next. But if Sexy you have dances. made it this far into the hundredth episode, you probably deserve a chainsaw award yourself um, for dedication to. I've uh, got two. Rambling. You can have. Yeah, there you go. That's um, obviously fucking exclusive not. <laughs> <laughs> scoop. But no, uh, we're going to end this torture now. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time. Professional. Bye bye. Bye.